Xfinity cable and got that new remote and I all I know how to do is, is turn it on and, and change two channels and you know it's got a voice thing on it where you hold it down you just say ESPN it'll automatically go to ESPN I hadn't figured out how to do that I hit the button but I wouldn't hold it down so Nora's over in Mary's lap and they're playing around and and I'm just talking and suddenly the TV switches to a kids channel I said we watch something else it's another kids channel and it switches and I was like all right and I, my granddaughter had discovered how to do it. You just hold the button down, Randy, or Grandy. And even though she doesn't talk yet, she looked at me like. <laughs> Her favorite thing to do now is to go like this and go, I did it. She, she, and she said, I did it. I said, yes, you did. And now I learned from a one-year-old how to use my Xfinity remote. I'm so proud of myself that I accomplished that. And now she's going to teach me how to use my cell phone. We're working on that. I do remember the first time I got a smartphone, Ella, I don't know how old Ella was, nine maybe, and she's now 18, and, and she was showing me how to use it, and I'm like, she was talking like, get rid of that window, Grandy, get rid of that, get, what are you talking about, get rid of them, I said, I don't want to tear it up, she said, just listen to me, Grandy, and do what I tell you, and I said, yes, Ella, I will do that, all right, what we're going to do, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1, you can probably see that on the screen. What I want to do today, Marcus and I are doing this series on encounters with Jesus Christ. Going through the Gospels, and we're going to kind of skip around. I know uh, Marcus has already done some stuff on the first disciples, and, and I've done John the Baptist out in Arnia, but God really led me. I wanted to do it here because it, it meant so much to me to look at, and I know there are some of you that may have heard it already, but God's Word is God's Word. It doesn't return void. So what I want to look at today is this incredible first encounter recorded for us where John the Baptist meets Jesus. Not only what does it do for him, but what does it do for history? What did it do for me, for you, as we look back and, and see it? And one of the coolest things about understanding the story of John the Baptist is God just stuck it there in history. It was the most significant moment since the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, 400 years since the Jews had had a voice from God, a prophet of God, 400 years from Malachi, and John the Baptist shows up on the scene. Perfect timing. God is in control, sending a message to the Jews in particular, specifically. It's always important to see the historical and the scriptural context of anything you're studying in the Bible. So he's sending this guy, John the Baptist, at this moment in time in history to say to the Jews, Messiah is here. They've been waiting for Messiah, and Jews today in 2023 are still waiting for Messiah, many. There are some who've come to accept Jesus as their Messiah, as their Christ, as their Savior. Most have not. And we want to, I want you to see and grasp and be encouraged by in your own personal walk and life in Jesus Christ about this moment in history when John the Baptist stepped on the scene and what God is doing. John the Baptist was a fairly young man. He was Jesus' first cousin. That will also be interesting to note. He was Jesus' first cousin. He's about six months older chronologically than Jesus Christ. His own birth was a miracle of God. Elizabeth, his mom, was past, uh, could not have children. 
and God yet heard John the Baptist, and even in the womb, the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit because God had a special task for John the Baptist. Remember, historical context, it had been 400 years, think how long that is, since they'd had a prophet of God, the Jews. God had spoken to them, thus saith the Lord, from Malachi, who was six months older than Jesus, and he was a weird duck. He dressed weirdly, wore animal skins, he ate grasshoppers uh, and honey. Honey was uh, really nice to have, particularly back then. It was a sign of uh, being well off. He ate grasshoppers. I don't know about eating grasshoppers. I, I don't know about that part. But he ate grasshoppers uh, and honey, and he lived out in the wilderness in the middle of the desert, and he had a very powerful message for the Jews, specifically for the Jews. Obviously, it was for everyone. But again, history is important and fitting it in the context. He came to say to the Jews, Messiah is here. Repentance, that was his message, very powerful message. And thousands upon thousands of Jews were flocking to him to get baptized. Not because of the water. He made that clear. I baptize you with water, John the Baptist said. There stands one among you who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. Jesus, the the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. He was the most, John the Baptist was the most significant religious teacher of his time. Obviously next to stepping on the scene, Jesus of Nazareth. But he was, that's where he was. His endorsement of Jesus was incredibly significant. He's the last of the prophets. 150 years after Jesus' death, after his own death, John the Baptist, 150 years later, he still had a very significant following, an important sect in both Christianity and Judaism. He's mentioned in the New Testament 89 times. He's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, both in Isaiah 40 and in Malachi chapter 4. He was sent by God to do some very specific things. Number one, to prepare Israel for the coming of their Messiah, that he was here, to introduce Jesus as that Messiah to call Jews to repentance and to baptize Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to quote them for you. In Matthew 3 it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, in the surrounding Jerusalem, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. He was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And in Malachi, excuse me, and in Matthew, it says, As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John the Baptist, What did you you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? In other words, why did you go out there to John the Baptist? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses, not out in the wilderness. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, this is Jesus speaking about John the Baptist. Yes, a prophet. I say to you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Malachi chapter 3. So Jesus Christ himself said John the Baptist is the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3. Remember, who was Malachi? The last prophet 
prior to John the Baptist, 400 years earlier, the end of your Old Testament, the last book, the book of Malachi, that intertestamental period, that 400 years has gone by, and now God sends John the Baptist. Jesus says, from his own lips, Jesus says, this man, John the Baptist, is the one Malachi was talking about when he said, I send my messenger before your face. He'll prepare your way. He came to prepare the way of the Messiah. Now Jesus continues, Assuredly, I, I say to you, among those born of women, there's not been one risen greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Jesus is doing a little teaching while also talking about John the Baptist. Those born among women, how many would that be? How many of you are, do not have a mama? The answer would be zero. Now your mama may be in heaven or may be dead, but you had a mama at some point in time. And Jesus says, think about that. You're writing a resume and say, well, I've got this. So who would you like to, for your recommendations? Well, I'm going to go with Jesus of Nazareth. God himself recommends me. That'd be pretty high. That's literally what Jesus is saying. This is the greatest man that has risen. God had a special call on this man's life. We'll see a little bit more about that in a moment. You know, Mark chapter 1 said, John the Baptist came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts, grasshoppers, and wild honey. And he preached saying, there comes one after me who's mightier than I am, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just step back for a moment. Jesus said, the greatest man that has risen, but he also said everybody else in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What's Jesus' point? He's a great man, the greatest. But every believer is important in the eyes of God. When you study spiritual gifts, one of the emphasis Paul has over and over in spiritual gifts is this. Even the gifts that aren't up front, not the guys with the speaking gifts that are behind the podiums and the teachers and the ones everybody knows, the people with the gift of service, the people who get the mercy, and the people with the gift of encouragement that are behind the scenes, they're more significant because they make it possible for the people with the speaking gifts to do what they do. So don't ever think you're not significant, because you are. That's what Jesus was saying. John the Baptist is the greatest, but so are you. He had a special moment in history, but your time is important as well. And that's why wherever you find yourself tomorrow and Thursday and in two weeks from Tuesday, and until Jesus comes back, that call of the Great Commission on your life, John had a specific call. You go tell him. I have a specific call. You have a specific call. We have a general call. Go into all the world and make disciples of me until, and I'll be with you always, Jesus said. We're in the last days, and until Jesus comes back in the day of the Lord and it's all wrapped up, our job is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Wherever you find yourself. Doesn't mean you've got to teach a Bible study in your home. That does mean your home needs to be one where Christ is honored. People that know you may not agree with you, even in your own family. We're not going to go around the room today and do it, but we could. 
my family and probably your family, there are people that you agonize over because they're not Christians. And you want them. Or maybe they say they are, but all you see is a nominal response. They don't see somebody living for Jesus Christ. And you don't know. Now that's God's business ultimately and finally. But it's my business to be, as John the Baptist said, it's such a beautiful character to understand. And we're only going to scratch the surface today. John the Baptist said about himself, I am a lamp. It's a magnificent metaphor. I am a lamp reflecting the light that was within me. I'm not the light. Jesus is the light. I am the lamp. Don't you love that metaphor? Because it's one we can all understand. We got a lamp, we got a lamp at home in our, in our living area room, and because the cord, we have to stretch it to the wall to plug it in. Well, when Nora's there, we got to unplug it because it's a hazard with her there. She's just going to crawl, or now she's trying to walk. She's going to walk right through it, and the lamp's going to be on the floor. So when you go over and unplug that lamp and lay the cord aside on the table, does, is the lamp of any use at all? No, other than a weapon or something dangerous to hurt her when she pulls it off the table, it's not worth anything. But when she isn't there and I plug the lamp in and I turn it on so I can sit there and read, what do I get? The light that's within the lamp. Jesus is the light of the world. And he said to us, you're the light. Don't cover up your light. Set it on the hill so everybody can see it. Are you perfect? Mary here? Yeah, come on up here. Come on. Nobody's perfect. But who is? The light within you is. He's the light of the world. John in the gospel, in the beginning, in the prologue, says he lights every man coming into the world. He's the word. He's the light. He's all those metaphors he chose. I'm the bread. I'm the door. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And he gives you and me the privilege of reflecting that light. That's what John the Baptist taught. If John the Baptist were egotistical, if he were a false teacher, everybody was flocking to John the Baptist. He was the man. Everybody was coming to him because they wanted to know what was going on. They wanted his baptism. And yet when the opportunity arose, what did he say? To his own followers, don't follow me. Follow who? Jesus. Because I'm not the light. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Do you think in the United States of America we live in a wilderness? We sure do. A wilderness of spiritual darkness. Do you think spiritual darkness needs light? Sure they do. And that's why I told somebody this week, much younger than me, young, I have children older than this young man I was talking to. I said, man, this is a great time to be a Christian because if you're serious about your faith, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And you get, an op you get opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to reflect that light. The key then becomes, and the question then becomes, are you going to do it? There are a lot of times I don't do it when I should. Doesn't mean you got to slap people with your Bible and say, are you going to heaven when you die? 
But ultimately, you do want to talk to them about that, don't you? You know, loving, gentle, and this is where I've been so weak over the, my 52 years of being a Christian. So weak in listening to people. Listening to what they're saying. Because most of the time when they start talking, I've already figured out what their problem is. If they would just shut up and listen to me, they would be so much better off. I tell my wife that all the time. No. Ain't that stupid? Listen to where people are. Meet them. That's what Jesus did. We're going to see that in our next encounter with Jesus. He met people where they were, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. He met them where they were and changed their lives. Encounters with Jesus. That should be our goal. Meet people where they are, but don't leave them there. John the Baptist. So he comes, think about being the guy who baptized Jesus Christ. You could brag pretty good at church about that one, couldn't you? Oh, okay, you baptized the Billy Graham. Pretty good. You baptized the Pope. <laughs> Real good. I baptized Jesus. All right, I guess this conversation's over now, isn't it? That's not who he was. So humble. Always pointing people to the light. I'm a lamp. I'm a lamp. Just follow me. Follow the one I point you to because he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm just baptizing you as a sign of repentance and remission of sins. So as the gospel begins on planet Earth, it's here. The greatest herald of the greatest news. He was a spiritual giant. And he terrified the Pharisees. They were so worried. Who is this guy? He, he's terrified the establishment. He was the son of a priest. His wife was the daughter of a priest. He was the guy who baptized Jesus. He had a profound impact on the Jewish community. And just for a moment, pause with me. You're out in the wilderness. Thousands upon thousands are coming to you to be baptized. You're the man. And here comes Jesus walking up. Here comes Jesus walking up. And you know, you're the only one that knows this is the Messiah. And he's coming to me to get baptized. Remember what he said? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Jesus came to him to get baptized. I'm not worthy. And it had a profound, can you imagine? It had a profound impact on him. I bet it did. He also got to experience the Trinity. He's baptizing the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is descending like a dove. And he hears a voice from heaven saying what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He got to see a manifestation of the Trinity. I guarantee he had a profound impact on his life. And you see it throughout the New Testament. What a special man John the Baptist was. So as the gospel begins, here he is. He came to bear witness of the light. Look at chapter 1, John 1. We're going to get to verse 19 in a second, I promise. Look at John 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, 
that all through him might believe, through him might believe in the light. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Drop down to verse 15. John bore witness of Jesus, crying out, saying, This was he of whom I, John the Baptist, said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Wait a minute, I'm confused. John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. They were first cousins. Jesus came after him. He said he was before me. How could he be before John the Baptist and then be after John the Baptist? Because he was eternal God. John the Baptist knew it. This was he, I've said to you, he was preferred before me. The phrase preferred, preferred before me in Greek means he ranks higher than I do. Because he's God. He's God. I'm not worthy. But he said, you go and you do what you're supposed to do. I'm not worthy. You're not worthy. But God saved you for a reason, and he saved me for a reason. And the reason is you have ministry to do, whatever it is. You have ministry to do. It doesn't make you God. It makes you a servant of God. That's what John the Baptist was, a humble servant of God with no ego. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's always the case. He ranks higher than I do. So, go to verse 19. Having all that background, now the Pharisees are terrified about John the Baptist. Because everybody's, as we said, flocking to him. They don't know what's going on. So they send a delegation of scribes and priests out to find out what's going on. See, John the Baptist wasn't trained in their rabbinical schools. He didn't have a position in the temple. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a Sadducee. He wasn't a Herodian. And he wasn't ordained. Kind of like trying to get a job on a church today. You know how you get a job at a church today? You know how I got my job? I knew John Latimer, and he called me and said, you want to come work for me? I've never been to seminary. Still haven't. Never been. No training. It's just this is what God wanted me to do. Several years ago, I've probably told you this story. If I have, act like you hadn't heard it. It makes me feel better. We were sitting there. We used to have these meetings. Phil Newberry was on staff at Bellevue, and Phil and I became good friends. And he passed away recently, and he's a great guy. He came to work at Bellevue one year after I came to work here, and we became friends and over the years. And when I went to Arlington, Phil went out there with the Bellevue campus that was there for a while. And we'd spend a lot of time just talking and about how bad it was to work at a church and you know, just, just talking to each other. Great friend. And so he organized this thing. Phil was big into details, and he had the gift of administration. He would eat up with it. And so he, he organized this thing of getting all the pastors together. Once a month, we'd get together, pastors in Arlington, get together and eat and just talk. It was really a good time. And so the, the very first time we got together, I was the oldest guy in the room. And Phil said, all right, we're going to start with, we're, we're going to go around the room, and everybody's going to say what church you're with and and." You know, anything you want to say. We're going to start with Randy because he's the oldest and he has the longest tenure out here in Arlington. So, you know, I said, I'm Randy Lockley with Christ Church and everybody goes around the room. I'm, I'm Bill Jones with the Methodist Church and, and Don Kearns, that's actually his name, Bill Jones, I made up. Don Kearns was with the Presbyterian Church. And so we went around the room 
and we get through, and then we're eating, we're talking, and somebody's just asking different things, and, and one of the guys said, well, Randy, I said, uh, how long have you been on staff at that church? I said, about 30 years, or 20, at that point, it was about, about 25 years. He said, he said, well, how did you manage to stay there so long? I said, well, I just, I'm confused on things. <laughs> he goes, well, where'd you go to school? I said, all right, here we go. He, I turned to Phil, who knew, Phil knew me. I turned to Phil. I said, Phil, he did ask. Remember, I didn't start the conversation, Phil. He asked me. I said, I went to the University of Memphis. He goes, oh, okay, that's good. Where'd you go to seminary? At University of Memphis. He goes, they don't have a seminary. I said, you're right, because I didn't go there for that. My degree's in business administration and economics. He goes, where'd you get your training? I said, I studied the Bible. And I'm trying to be nice and not offend him because I didn't go to Mid-America or a uh, uh, Methodist seminary or whatever. I just, I said, man, God just gave me a call on my life. He gave me the gift of teaching, and I love what I do, and he, that's why I'm here. I won't tell you the story of what happened that time. We ain't got time for it. But when I met uh, Steve Gaines, the pastor of Bellevue, and he asked me what we believe, that one was, uh, I got carried away with that one. I shouldn't, I'll tell you that on another time. All right. So, the, the, the Pharisees sent a delegation out to John the Baptist to find out who is this clown. So, that's point one on your handout, and I promise we're going to go fast. We're going to finish this, maybe. All right. He said, they asked him, who are you? And he said, well, I'm not the Christ, Elijah, or the prophet. Let's walk through this briefly. So, he's not ordained. He has no qualifications. You, you can't have, you can't be baptized. If you, what do you do? And they did not baptize in the sense he baptized. They only had, if, if a Gentile proselyte came into Judaism, they would baptize because he was filth and an infidel. They would baptize him to allow him in. Jews did not have baptisms. They had washings. They didn't have a right like we have today. We baptize believers as a testimony that I'm born again. They didn't have anything like that. This was crazy new to them. And everybody wanted forgiveness of sins just like they do today, even though they won't talk about it. They wanted it. They were flocking, as we said to John the Baptist. He's a threat to them. They don't understand what's going on. He's baptizing without their authority. That was a big thing to them. You don't do anything as a Jew without our authority. You don't. What are you doing? You're not a rabbi. You haven't been trained by us. You don't have qualifications. You don't have credentials. What are you doing? They were flocking to him. That's what they were doing. So, verse 19, here's the picture. Probably want to get to the right, not 19, let's go to, hang on with me one second, I'll make sure how I want to do this. Okay, we'll go to 19. This is the testimony of John the Baptist, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem. So they sent, the Pharisees sent priests and Levites who worked in the temple from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Who are you? Messianic fever was high. They all thought, maybe this guy's the Messiah, but he's talking to us about the coming of the Messiah. They were longing for this great deliverer, including the Levites, the priests, and the Pharisees. They wanted Messiah to come and overthrow Rome and set up the kingdom on earth. And they're, maybe this guy's the Messiah. We need to find out. They, they wanted that. Who are you? Why are all these people coming to you? Are you the Messiah? Or who do you think you are to be out here baptizing? Now, at this point, if John the Baptist, again, were a false teacher, and if it was about John the Baptist, it would have been very easy for him 
because of the following, to stand up and say, I am the Messiah. And they would have all followed him. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He pointed him to Jesus. So, verse 20. John the Baptist confessed, and he did not deny, but he confessed. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah you're looking for. You think I might be. I am not Christ, Messiah, same word. John the Baptist confessed. He did not deny. He courageously stands up, vigorously denies that he's the Messiah. There's the picture of humility, servanthood. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one you're looking for. Verse 21. They ask him, well, who are you then? Are you Elijah? I am not. Jews, <coughs> pardon me, Jews believe that Elijah would come back, appear on earth again. Again, this is a, a prophecy 400 years prior. Malachi 4 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children of the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's the last prophecy in the Old Testament. They believed Elijah was coming. Now John the Baptist is coming, but he's not Elijah. He's like Elijah, like a type of Christ. He's a type of Elijah. He came before the Messiah as the voice of God crying, Messiah is here. That he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is Luke. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready people prepared for the Lord. He said, I'm coming in the spirit of Elijah. I am not Elijah. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. Verse 21, the end of it, I'm not the prophet. He said, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Prophet was a popular belief among, again, the Jews, that one of the Old Testament prophets was going to return. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 18. It's a picture, again, a type of Christ. He said, I'm not the prophet. And their question is, well, who are you? This is so beautiful, point two on your handout. This is where you see, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet, I'm simply a vessel. I'm simply a vessel. Verse 23, he said, verse 22, well, who are you? You may give an answer to those who sent us. In other words, we got to go back and tell the Pharisees something at the home office. Who are you? We got to go back with an answer. Who are you? What do you say about yourself? You're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet. That's all we got. We got to go back with an answer. Who are you? Verse 23, he said, quoting the Old Testament, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verse 3. So by the way, they would know this verse, this prophecy very well. And he says, I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, prepare my cry. Verse 24, those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, why do you baptize if you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet? This Messiah is here. My witness, Jesus is the light. I'm simply the lamp. I'm here to make straight the way of the Lord. Beautiful picture culturally. 
Before a king would visit a town, the people of the town, a messenger would go before the king to announce that the king is coming, like John the Baptist is doing. The townspeople would run out. They would clear all the obstacles, fix the potholes like doesn't get done in some cities. They would go out and fix the potholes, get rid of all the stuff in the roads, make smooth the way of the king. They would prepare. That's one of the titles of Jesus of Nazareth in your New Testament. King of what? Kings. King of kings and Lord of lords. John the Baptist saying, I'm here to make way for the king. Make the way straight. He's coming. I'm here to serve the Messiah. Verse 24. Those who sent were from the Pharisees. Why are you baptizing? He said, it's not something that they did. The, Jew, the Gentiles were ceremonially unclean, so they would baptize them. But not for Jews. Who was John the Baptist baptizing? Gentiles or Jews? Almost exclusively Jews. For remission of sins after their repentance. Verse 26, John said, I'm baptized with, <clears throat> I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. The emphasis is not on me. Here's the contrast. With Jesus' baptism and John's baptism. I baptize with water. What he's talking about here is not the water. The emphasis in Greek is on the I. And the contrast is between the I, John the Baptist, and the one preferred before John the Baptist, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I want you to make sure you see the contrast here. I deal with externals as a sign. The one who stands among you baptizes, he deals with the spirit. Think about it this way. How many people do you know? Maybe you are one because I were one. I grew up in church at age 12. I went to classes for six weeks. At the end of six weeks, they gave me a little white New Testament. They poured water on my head and told me I was what? Saved. They didn't use that term. They said, you're a Christian. You're in the church. And I said, well, thank you. So my little white New Testament went home. My mama was happy. Four years later, I got saved. That's the gospel. I asked for forgiveness. I asked Jesus to save me. I Someone explained the gospel to me, not an outward religious ceremony, but an inward cleansing by the Holy Spirit. That's what John the Baptist is saying. I can baptize you with water, but the important thing is if you baptize spiritually by Jesus, have you been forgiven of your sins? You come to me, I preach repentance, not water. That's not what it's about. I, I baptize with water. He baptizes among you. He was standing there. They didn't even know him. Verse 27. Preferred before me is eternal God. Now John the Baptist was no ordinary man. Think about it. In the, how many ordinary men could say, I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah 40 and Malachi 4? He was no ordinary guy. But he's saying, I'm just a vessel 
I'm just a servant. He was the son of a priest. He had a miraculous birth. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. He had a massive following, an amazing ministry. And yet, how did he describe? What's the adjective he used to describe himself in the presence of Jesus Christ? The adjective is, I am unworthy. See it? That's humility. You know why I love to tell people about Jesus? Because I know I'm unworthy. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. And Jesus said, I'll do it for you. Come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll forgive your sins. I'll give you eternal life. I'll give you peace. I'll give you purpose. I'll give you hope. And you're not going to get it anywhere else. And then you get up from there and you go, you serve him because you want to. Not, you're not trying to buy anything. You're trying to manifest something that's happened to you. The light of the world has changed you. And you want people to see that light. John the Baptist was a, as I said, we began this today. He was the biggest on the planet at that moment in time. He was the biggest draw, religious leader on the planet. Not like the Pharisees. People were coming to him. And yet he was humble enough to say, no, no, I'm just a vessel. I'm just a servant. Follow the Messiah who's standing in your midst. Verse 28. These things were done in Bethpharah beyond the Jordan. Some people think that's Bethany. Doesn't matter. Somewhere there where John was baptizing. That, that word in Hebrew means house of passage, not an accident. From apostate Judaism, the remnants of the Jews, the true remnant was about to meet the Messiah. In its message to the Jews who came to the delegation that came from the Pharisees to see John the Baptist, here's his message to them. Boys, your authority is about to be taken away from you. The Messiah is here, and you don't even know it. You know the Bible backwards and forwards, the scriptures, the Old Testament. You've got to memorize. You know them externally, but you don't know them. You don't know the God who wrote them. You are blind guides, as Jesus will say later on. You're hypocrites. You're blind guides. You're whitewashed tombs. You're blind guides being used by Satan to lead people to hell where you're going. Not my words, Jesus' words. Powerful about to change. This passage, this Beth Barah they're talking about here where he's baptizing, it's a place where Israel, the Israelites, entered the promised land under Joshua. Transition. Passage. So who am I then? Verse 29 said, I'm the voice. I'm the voice. I'm not the light. I'm not the Christ. I'm the voice. Verse 29. The next day, Jesus saw John the Baptist coming toward him and said, Behold, exclamation point, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm the voice. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Pause for a moment. He's talking to Jews. He's talking to Jewish leaders. Did they know who the Lamb of God was? Yes, they did because it was Passover. They knew what Passover was. You know what John the Baptist is saying? 
Jesus is the Passover lamb that we've been waiting for forever. That's who he is. You don't see it and you don't know it, but that's who he is. His audience was Jewish. He was so excited. Think about this. Just try to mentally put yourself there in that crowd coming to be baptized. And he suddenly tells you, there's the Lamb of God. He was so excited. Like going to a concert and you get to be the guy that introduces the Beatles. Or Elvis. Live on our stage tonight. Anybody care about you at that point? They just want to see Elvis or the Beatles or whoever it might be on our stage. He's saying, hey, right here, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why John the Baptist came to be that vessel that was able to introduce the world to their Savior. Lamb of God is the title that sums up the Bible's message of atonement. Provision by the Lamb, covering by the Lamb, substitution through the Lamb, sacrifice of the Lamb. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham and Isaac, the Passover at Exodus, the sacrificial system in the priesthood, Abel's offering instead of Cain's, all shadows of the Lamb of God. Isaiah 53, when you read that, you're literally reading the fulfillment, the prophecy that would happen in Jesus Christ. Takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist says. And I love this phrase. It means he carries it away and he destroys it. Don't you just love that? The sin. Not, not, not talking about individual sins. They're forgiven. But he's taking away the problem. The sin. Every one of us is a sinner who commits sin. When I get saved, the sinner part is taken care of. The fact that I am a sinner, Jesus died was buried and rose again to set me free from sin as my master. It's a defeated enemy. That's what John the Baptist is talking about. He carries it away. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. I did it. I paid that debt. It's done. He told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise because he was going to die for the sins of the world. Take care of the problem. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that. He who knew no sin became what? Sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, where? In him. Not me. Christ in me. Christ in me. In Revelation chapter 5, the Bible says this. John said, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. In other words, there were a lot of angels around. Can you see that picture? Just the heavens are filled with angels. And they're saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, in other words, everybody in the universe, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. He's the Lamb of God. Verse 30, 
He says, he who I said after becomes a man who's preferred before me, for he was before me. We've talked about this already. He's not only the Lamb of God, he's eternal God. Lord God eternal. Verse 31, I did not know him. Wait a minute, they're first cousins. Don't miss this. I didn't know him. The first cousins in the same town, they hung out together. Jesus' own siblings didn't believe he was the Messiah. John the Baptist, I didn't know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. He knew him as his cousin. He didn't know him as what? Messiah. Until God said, this is your job. This is your ministry. This is your calling. This is why I sent you. What a privilege. Verse 32. John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Jesus, the one he was baptizing. I didn't know him, but he sent me to baptize with water. He who sent me said, upon whom you see the Spirit descending, remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is, verse 34, the Son of God. He's not just my cousin. He is God in the flesh. Emmanuel, deity. He could do something for you that, that, again, John the Baptist was a great man. He's saying, but Jesus can do something for you I cannot do. He can forgive your sins because he is God. So the bottom of your handout, you see the traits of a Christ follower like John the Baptist. Self-denial. I am not the Christ. Servant heart. Jesus is preferred before me. The surrender to the will of God. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Here would be my encouragement to you as we wrap up. If you're born again, you've had an encounter with God. For me, I was 16 years old. Next month, it'll be 53 years. What I really want to encourage you with, whether you've got some, like Mary would say this, a child like six, seven, eight years old, I was 16. Even It doesn't matter when you were saved, you had that encounter, you're born again. What God wants for you as his child, as his boy, as his girl, is every day make it a fresh encounter with your God. Every day. Wake up and be excited, even though sometimes you... It takes me 30 minutes just to get out of bed. You can say, all right, here's an exciting new day that God has given to me. To not only get closer to him, but to let somebody else see that light. I'm not a light. I want them to see the light. This encounter that I have with Jesus Christ. It changed John the Baptist. And it changed you. I need to live like somebody's been changed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this particular encounter looking at John the Baptist. What a special moment, not just in his life that we can learn from, but in history, that after 400 years of silence, you send a crazy man out in the wilderness to say, I baptize you with water, but there stands one here who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. Messiah has come. What a privilege. We can learn from it. 
We ask in our own individual lives that we would wake up every day and say, Lord, I want a fresh encounter with you today in a way. Change me, make me closer to you so that I can be more effective for you. Thank you for everybody here, Lord. Pray each individual life is different, but you know everyone on us intimately. Let the Holy Spirit do its work. In Jesus' name, amen.